0: to the Broadcast Basement On-Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 24 of Sinimental.
1: Now this I can do.
0: I can't compete with you physically, and you're no match for my brain.
2: I don't give a crap if you covered yourself in peanut butter and had a 15 hooker gangbang.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Movie Podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Asan Godwin and Latham Conger III. Our guest today has been a working artist and writer in the comics industry for nearly five decades. In that time... Oh, don't say that. (laughs) In that time... I feel really old. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He has written and or drawn tens of thousands of pages. Oh, man. (laughs) featuring most of the iconic characters for all of the major minor comics publishers that exist today, and some that don't exist anymore. Most well-known for his acclaimed four-year run on Marvel's Thor, in which he created many of the characters and situations that would one day be realized on the big screen MCU Thor films. His groundbreaking graphic novel based on the film Alien set the bar for movie adaptations that has rarely been met since. He continues that legacy today, writing and drawing the series Ragnarok for IDW Comics. A true legend in most every sense of the word, but to me, he's just my pal. Walter Simonson, welcome to Sentimental.
1: Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I'll get back to you about that legend stuff later.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. I mean, the problem is, is are you considered legendary until not, or you're not considered legendary until after you die, right? Well, so, I think you
1: have to, if you're, if you're alive and older than dirt, you're Okay. You wow. can be a legend, then, but like kind of like
0: Carmine was at the end a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: <laughs> I'd see him at shows, and I would just, I would just feel bad because it's like he was just like barely functioning, and they had him propped up at the booth signing stuff, and I was just like, man, come on, give this guy, let this guy take a nap or something, let him take a break.
1: No, I'm, anyway, I'm only a few years short of that now, so yeah, oh please,
3: uh... <laughs> few years short of that you're a legend when you can unironically say in the midst of a recall of some story of yours, that was the summer I mined uranium. Oh, <laughs> <That's>... oh <laughs> I'm, again, I'm impressed. You remember? Yeah. That. Oh, no, I, I forget nothing that you said, sir. And, and, <laughs> uh, and I'm sitting there waiting for the wink or the, the twinkle in his eye. Like, yeah, you know And I mean? You know, this man is, is dead serious. <laughs> <that> he, and <laughs> like, I, I've done, I've done nothing with my time here on the earth. I have no well, stories in let's, comparison. Let's be,
1: let's be fair. I was a gopher on the mining side, on the drilling <laughs> side. I was, not, I was not the geologist in charge. I wasn't <laughs> anything important. I was just a guy for a, a summer job in Lisbon, was Lisbon Valley, in Utah, back in 1969. Is that right? On
3: uranium in Utah. My God. That is the first line of a novel. Yep, sixty-eight <laughs> probably.
1: But it was it was an interesting was an interesting gig. It was I, I mean I learned a little, and that was about the time I was deciding uh, maybe geology and paleontology. Yeah. So I maybe
3: was really a, maybe comic books. Maybe, maybe I'm not going there. Yeah,
1: maybe comic books. It Took <laughs> a while to get there. I was not a, I wasn't a quick study on that. I got to comics eventually.
3: Yeah, and then the story goes. And then I
0: became a comics legend. (laughs) Yes. After all of that.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: If you look back and you hadn't changed course, Walter, do you think we'd be saying legendary (laughs) geologist, Walter Simonson?
1: (laughs) Well, if it was anything, it would have been legendary paleontologist. Legendary
0: paleontologist.
1: Paleo, because I was really interested in dinosaurs from like third grade on. My dad took me to see Fantasia when one of the periodic (laughs) re releases. I loved the Stravinsky Rite of Spring, the dinosaur stuff that was in there. Just blew my mind. I mean, now you can hop on TV, any kid can hop on TV, and you can probably find dinosaurs almost twenty-four-seven on television. Sure, That's on some, you know, Discovery Channel or this or that or whatever. Definitely with streaming. But yeah, but yeah, and streaming for sure. But back in those days, that was really rare, and so I, I don't know if I'd seen much about dinosaurs up to then. A little bit maybe, but I just remember seeing the White of Spring and the. Uh, I, still, I still crack up. I think at the time I, I was a dinosaur fan. And there's an th- introduction to that particular sequence where Dean's Taylor is saying, This is a coldly scientific re- re- reenactment or recreation of the blah, 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 of the origin of life on Earth. And what was funny to me, at least later, maybe even then, is there's a great sequence with the T Rex and the Stegosaurus fight. And it's just, it's phenomenal. I could describe it boringly for hours, but it's really cool. <laughs> but the Stegosaurus, we live closer. <laughs> to the time the T-Rex was around then the T-Rex lived to the stegosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> it's longer from the stegosaurus to the T-Rex than from us to the T-Rex. So, coldly scientific, I think they would have
0: known that in
1: 1940, whatever, 40 or thereabouts when the film came out. Yeah,
2: but
0: how interesting is that if you can't have dinosaurs battle each other? I mean, come on.
1: Well, a triceratops would have been fine. That would have been age-appropriate. so to speak but it was still nevertheless it was a great sequence yes I still love the sequence and I I decided from that point on to be a vertebrate paleontologist to study dinosaurs and it was not until I got through college that's mostly a grad school study you you major in geology you major in biology one or the other and then you go on to paleo in grad school and I was a geo major and at the end of my senior year I decided going I had applied to grad schools hadn't heard back from most of them and I decided that was not what I wanted to do. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do at the time. I was not, my dad was a scientist. My brother became a geologist. I'd always drawn pictures. I had no idea you could make a living drawing pictures. And so that was really, you know, eventually I had took a year off and then ended up going to art school, the Rhode Island School of Design. And while I was there, I got interested in drawing and creating comics.
0: But you, I mean, clearly you knew of, art and artists and cartoonists at that time, so you understood that there must have been something there.
1: Well, you know, when I was in college the first time, when I was a geo major, that's when I discovered Marvel Comics. 1965, uh, the summer of 65, right. my freshman junior year. I'm sorry, freshman senior, and uh, sophomore year. I, uh, I came across a couple of issues of Journey into Mystery, 120-121, which were, uh, it was Thor. The first two, it turned out, of a four-part story. And I had a bike about five miles to get to the drugstore. There were not a lot of comic shops or there were no comic shops. Weren't many drugstores that carried comics back then near where I lived, suburban Washington, D.C. I must have driven back. I mean, I'd biked back to the drugstore. That's why I was thin back then. I must have <laughs> biked there like the 10 mile round trip, you know, like four times rather than buy the comics because they were comic books. I'm, why would I buy comic books? And what were they, 12 cents back then? Maybe maybe 15. They weren't, well, right. 65, maybe 20 by then. And uh, finally, about the fifth trip, I said, oh, screw this. And I just bought the <laughs> comics. And they shouldn't actually have been on the rack at the same time. You know, they usually they took one off and a new issue came in. But it gave me the two stories to read. I, within a few months, I was buying every Marvel comic that was coming out at the time. So. But it had not, did not occur to me then that drawing comics was where I was going to end up. I did actually draw a few pages of continuity, little bits, you know, three pages, four pages, five pages. We got a little longer each time, but it didn't really occur to me that there was actually a living to be made there. And I didn't understand anything about how professionals worked. How, I mean, I, when I created my comics, I did pencil them, I inked them. I did pencil and ink them on, on typewriter paper back then, <laughs> copy of paper now. I didn't know about doing art, you know, one and a half right. times up. Lettered some stuff, some of the world's most awful lettering, but I, I kind of got a foot in it without really knowing what I was doing, I and mean, I just kind of I mean now there are a million books and drawing comics, or a million right, and million books creating right. comics. There are videos all over the map. There you can watch demonstrations from really brilliant artists doing work. And back at the time, it was really uh, well, they looked like this at the end. So how would I get from this blank sheet of paper to that over there? And right. that was, that's kind of how. But it all worked out. Still struggling. It worked with
2: that. out okay eventually. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> it all worked out fine. Yeah. 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 As things turn out.
3: Yeah. I have no. Yeah, became it became a legend. Hey, go figure. Yeah, yellow. <laughs> well,
0: well, from there we'll jump into uh we've got a couple of we got a couple of interesting films to cover today. So let's uh let's jump into news that gives us fits.
2: No! No! No!
0: I only have two things today, uh, and one of them will just is basically a really quick conversation, but uh, I just found that MGM has announced that they are putting into development a prequel series to Robocop based around the character of Dick Jones. Now I think that this is someone probably came, well I mean it's being written or being show, or at least being pushed through by Ed Newmeyer, who co-wrote the screenplay for Robocop. And I think that he probably just had a good idea or kernel of an idea based on the idea of going after a dark kind of near future corporate power guy and then turned around and thought, oh, wait a second. If I can connect it to an existing franchise, A, that gives me more cred to build on because now I can say, oh, it's part of the RoboCop universe. Because I mean, pre the movie, there is no RoboCop. There's only yeah. Omni, there's a, there's only yeah. Omnicorp. So I, I don't know really other than, you know, they can't call it like pre-RoboCop or, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what you would call that, but, you know. You call it
3: Dick Jones. The world the series. of Dick Jones, I guess. <laughs> Dick Jones the series. Yeah. I, I,
0: it's a weird
1: choice. Dick Jones, the guy whose company created Ed 209.
0: That's right. <laughs> That's right ed 209 it's a little bit a little wordy but it's a good title it can work <laughs> it'll be hell on the guide hey after um
3: after the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert What's Ford? His name? <laughs> robert
0: Ford. yeah that's it Any, you could do anything after that, after that too. <laughs> yeah. that's, or, the, or like that uh that that the name of that second fiona apple album Oh, yeah. It's like when the, the arrow when the... hits the heart of the something and the <laughs> yeah. darkness of the something like, else. The whole cover of the album is the, is the yeah, title. It's, it's like a whole passage from a poem or something. <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to just briefly touch on or not briefly touch on is uh, I'm going to guess that uh, we all have watched the Dune trailer. Yep. Yep. Is that a yes, Hassan? Yes. I'm guessing it's a yes. Of course. Of course
4: it is. <laughs> yep. I've seen That's it. it.
0: And I just, I, I'd love to get your, your initial thoughts. We'll go with Hassan being the mega Dune fan that he is. I was making love to my television. <laughs> that's a that's a picture
3: there, <laughs> Latham. I, I leave that with you. Thank thank you. I, <laughs> I,
4: I, honestly, nothing I saw in the preview impressed me more than anything that was in the Lynch films. I I, I wasn't I wasn't impressed. It really looks, it, it looks fine it looks fine it looks good but David Lynch's dune looks just as good there is nothing in there that that shook me or really interested me in wanting to see it I'll see it but you know it's going to be hard to change the imagery from the other movie it's the, Lynch's dune isn't a great movie but visually it's pretty
0: impressive it is and it built it really gave people a first sort of view of all the stuff from the Dune universe. Right. And so I understand you're holding um, holding Steve? on to that. Steve. What? That, that's dune yeah D- You know what? Dune-iverse. I almost said <laughs> dune universe.
4: What on a condom, Hassan, for Christ's <laughs> sake.
0: <laughs> I just
3: want to help. I'm just here to help you. That's yeah, all.
4: I, I hope you don't help all over us, okay? <laughs> <laughs> the Oh, that's going to be edited out anyway.
0: <laughs> oh, it totally won't. Um, Walter, God. did you see? You watched it. You told me you watched it because I, uh, I watched I'd...
1: right before we hopped on. Um, I read the book actually the summer I was out in Utah looking for uranium. <laughs> I had I had a day where I didn't have to go to the drill site. I read the entire book in one day. Wow! Holy! Yeah, well, wow. I, didn't have a lot of, I didn't have a lot going on, so I just I just sat down and read all day. And it wasn't until the end of the book, where it took me a long time to kind of sort some stuff out. I discovered in the book, in the back, there's that big glossary of all the names. Yes. Yeah. And I, I said a word that I'm not going to say here for anybody's benefit.
2: It's <laughs> sort of Anglo- you stuff, can. Four letter word. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> so, that would made life a lot easier. I didn't about, have to, to, suffer. to that stuff out. I didn't look at the back of the book. I just read
4: <laughs> from the start. Yeah. Um, they handed I, you out a glossary when you saw the Dune movie, right? I I, oh, yeah, I wish. Uh, I think they did at the theater, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I only saw it, I,
1: I, you know, I saw the Lynch film, actually. That's one of the first films that my wife and I saw on cable because we, we were living in, what year did it come out? It was, we were 84. living in New York City and somewhere in there, so we got hooked up to cable and HBO and, and it's that stuff. And it showed up on one of the, maybe not for the first time, I don't know, but it showed up on one of the cable stations. And we started watching it. And the opening, of, I remember the opening of the movie, or at least I think I do, where they're showing a planet and they, they have the over voice of whoever the princess's name is. I don't remember Virginia
3: Madsen, Princess Errolon. Princess Errolon. I think
1: there's an over voice narration from her to start with. And the two of us looked at each other and thought, oh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> and, and the reason we You're said right. that is because in comics, neither one of us is a big fan of some kind of lengthy opening narration to bring the reader up to speed to wherever you are. Like you should be able to work that into your story. You should be able to get the exposition out of the way as if, as if in some kind of dialogue form or some kind of interesting form. And if you drop a bomb of block of copy right in the beginning, we feel that's not a very good way to open a narration on a visual story. And we just watch, look at that and went, Oh man, it's all this narration. It's this giant block of copy right in the beginning of the film. So, you know, it was okay. I wasn't blown away by it. I liked the book. I'm not the fan that Hassan obviously is. I did read, I read Dune Messiah. I don't know that I read Children, it, Children of Dune. Is that yeah. the third one? I don't know mm-hmm. that I read that
3: one. But, that was the last quote unquote linear one. Oh, And well. they start to get really esoteric after that.
1: So, uh, um, you know, I know it was okay, but I mean, I like some of the visuals. Uh, you know, if you don't have sandworms, that look like John Schoenhaer sandworms. I'm not interested. <laughs> I've seen a lot of designs for those that just, yeah. no, John nailed it in the in analog in the open. The first time it was printed and it just, hasn't been nailed like that since. So I, the, the, and I haven't seen, I know there are other versions of it that have come out, TV versions or maybe mm-hmm. movies as well. I don't remember, but I, and I haven't seen those, so I can't comment about them. The trailer, I thought it looked interesting. Um, that being said, I thought, for what I would like to see in a trailer, it wasn't as coherent as I would uh, maybe have liked for people like me who do not know a lot about Dune at this point. I mean, I, I know enough.
2: Oh yes, of course I try to ask. Or whenever that
0: <laughs> woman got little things.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it just felt there's not going to be that's the problem that's going to be the problem with everything anything right. you do to try to try to turn that into a linear story to try to dumb it's going it down. To either end up with your your block of text at the beginning or it's just going to end up leaving a lot of stuff out so it can turn it into a straightforward say you know cambellian you know hero's journey without any of the uh without any of the ancillary uh, uh, themes and stuff like that that come with it. It's, it's very dense. It's a very difficult book to film. Um, Absolutely.
1: I, my, my concern more is this is the trailer, and yes. I don't think of trailers. They're not necessarily the film. They don't even no. have to accurately represent the film. They are their own thing. And so I sort of felt, mm, you know, I recognize some of the stuff in it. But it, it just, it didn't grab me a lot. I thought, and it's probably not a film I'm going to go see unless a million of my friends suddenly go, oh my God, this was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Mm-hmm.
2: And I, I'd like to say, and by the way, I, as an
1: aside on sliced bread, that apparently <laughs> it was invented a couple of years after, I lost her name, the comedian who's about 95 years old now, Betty White. It was it, it was I, actually invented after Betty White was born. She, she is in, older sliced. than sliced bread. So my I goodness. thought, the, you know, I thought was okay. I wasn't, I wasn't wowed by the guy who played Maud Dibb. Don't quite know why. I'm not sure. He, I, I don't have a picture in my mind of what he should look like, but it's usually one of those things where you go, well, I don't know what I like, but I know what I don't like. I mean, I did not like it hugely. I just thought, eh, you know, it wasn't. What's that? Who's Maud Dibb? Timothy so, Chalamet.
3: Chalamet, yeah. Oh. Uh, Paul,
1: the, Paul the guy, Paul Modib, he's the main. Oh, okay, yeah. Paul the main, he's, character. The, character. he's
0: the Kyle McLaughlin character, protagonist,
1: yeah. Kyle MacLachlan. And uh, <clears throat> so, I wasn't wowed by him just by his visuals for that sure. character, but I don't even know what that means. And it may very well be if he acts his brains out in a way that makes me believe it, I'm all for it.
0: You know, and that's the thing I think. Uh, yeah, I when I when they announced that Timothy Chalamet was going to be Paul Atreides. I I was a little taken aback as well because I just not, not just because I felt that Kyle McLaughlin was a more stoutly built guy. And it just seemed to fit that character better. And being that, being your tech, your, for back of a better term, your hero of the story and Timothy Chalamet is very sign of small and frail and excellent actor. I think that, he'll fill the role just fine. I think that I'm not, I don't think he's going to be, I, th- I don't think I'm going to be watching him on the screen and I'm not going to have any problem believing he's Maud Dib, especially once we get into the meat of the movie. I don't think All there's right. going to be any question All of that. I well, just good. think.
4: He really hasn't played a role like, like Paul Atreides yet. So if he's an actual actor, he should be able to act and play that role.
0: That's where I have, I'm, I'm, I'm in this sort of benefit of the doubt. Cause I've yet to see him in anything except little women. And I thought he was excellent in that. Yeah. What, what was that? You didn't like little women? i uh, not. Oh, you mean the
4: eighth version of it? No, I like version four. Oh, okay. Well, it's like Robin hood. They make a version every, every four to six years. I don't years. want any more versions. If you're listening, whoever made all these, no more little women. I want little men. What about, what about pride and prejudice? Yeah. sense of sensibility.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Nothing no by the nothing by the Brontes, nothing.
4: Rabbit hole. You will, you will put <laughs> it behind awful. you first before you choose to make these films. And Lady Bird is uh, one of the most overrated piles of crap ever made. Wow.
0: All right then. Uh, so anyway, Dune, which he was also in. I uh, I have to say uh, I I was oh, hold back, Logan. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, don't worry. He no, j- don't... Just wait
4: till I get drunk on caffeine. <laughs>
0: Let's wait till we hit Midnight Latham.
4: <laughs> wait till my fit, yeah, my late, fit, midnight Latham. Uh
0: So in watching this and knowing who, knowing who all the characters are, knowing who James Brolin plays, who Jason Momoa plays, uh, knowing the tech behind the, you know, like they start with like that scene where it's like they're doing the, he's doing the training with them where he's doing the fighting and they turn and all of a sudden their body, the edges of their bodies are all broken up out of alignment. That's a really cool piece of tech that they have. It's a sort of like protective suit. It's a it's a shield that they, that shield, they wear yeah. that they wear around them in while they're doing training and eventually while they do fighting and stuff. But it's really cool. It's and it's a, and to see some of this stuff realized in this way is awesome. Because I I this is the kind of you know, having a super updated version of this story is something I'm very much looking forward to. Didn't they have that in the Lynch movie though too? They had the They did, but I'm just saying, I mean, that was also 1984. I'm saying the technology and special effects that we have now can realize some of these things better than they could have back then. It doesn't, I'm not saying always, trust me, I'm a big practical effects guy. As far as I'm concerned, you're still, no one can't, you know, either the last two versions of the thing aren't going to come close to the Carpenter's version of the thing. So that, you know, that's just me, but I'm a practical effects guy. Um, I would rather see the giant rubber suit or the giant rubber dog thing whipping around with tentacles shot backwards so it makes it look like it's, you know, coming out rather than going in. Here nor there. Uh, I think that and uh, the, the nice little homage bit of using the Pink Floyd song over the trailer was a nice touch. Because they couldn't get Toto. <laughs> well, no, because Pink Floyd <laughs> was, originally suppo- was originally signed to do the music for Yodorowsky's version. So having a Pink Floyd song over the trailer is very fitting. Which, thank God, no. Oh my God, I I so wish that version would have happened. I know you don't, but oh my God,
3: that it would have been a psychedelic trip, and it would have been it would have been amazing.
4: Have you seen? uh... But it would have
3: been nothing nothing close to the book. And I actually am a fan of the book, so you know i I appreciate it. It would have been a spectacle,
0: yes, but and fourteen hours long apparently. Yeah.
4: What was his big Jodorowsky's th- movie that everyone references? Um,
0: uh, there's, a, there's three or four. El Topo is the, oh, the, the
4: Holy Mountain. The Holy Mountain. Holy Mountain El and Topo. then El
0: Topo are the. There's like two or three that are really have well known. Have you seen those? I have not.
4: Now, Holy Mountain is. Unex- you just have to see it. There's no way to even talk about it if you haven't seen it. It's just. I've never seen it. A million years ago, one of my friends was
1: one of the straightest dudes I ever knew. And I would, I would never have picked him for this. He saw it and went nuts. He totally loved it. I still have to see it before I die, Just so I can see what the hell my friends saw in this film. <laughs> yeah. it, it was so out of character for what I would have read his character as. Yeah, the way he described it. I thought he described it in some detail. And I just thought this just sounds insane. <laughs>
4: and so, do you like? I this? do hope to watch that one someday. Yes, it definitely. It's, it's, yeah, it's, whether you like it or not, it's
0: we'll, one of my we'll watch that one things. and have you back. Um, for that we'll we'll cover films that should never be watched more than once walter just just pick
4: it on your next appearance make us watch it and then come on the show and be like i didn't watch it (laughs) so what do you guys think of it (laughs) i'll rely on you guys i'm not bothering you to watch this film
3: yeah (laughs) It's like what, The, the v- one one negative thing I would say about the Villeneuve rendition, I guess, depiction, in the, in conjunction with what you were saying earlier about uh, like, I, you know, I really love this book. So it's the same as you were saying, Steve. It's like, or and, and Latham, both of you. Um, I really wouldn't compare it to the, I, me personally, I won't be comparing it to the Lynch version because the Lynch version is a monster of its own. You know? So it's just another chance to see these things depicted by, you know, modern day superstars, you know, in that, right. you know, uh, you know, uh, Javier Bandar- Bardem as a, uh, as Stilgar, you know, like, yeah. or
4: who plays Sting's character in this one? Uh, I don't, know. I don't yeah. know. Um, who does, uh, the guy from, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, who is he playing? The he's, he's, Raban, the yeah, Beast he
0: plays Paul, uh, what was his name? The Beast. He's the Beast Raban. Yeah. it was Paul Smith. He was Paul Smith's character yes, in the Paul uh, Smith,
3: yeah. Yeah. Or uh what's it some some Lithuanian guy from the uh from the miniseries. He did a good job.
1: So Hassan, have guy. you seen how many other dunes have there been so far? There's at least one of there them. Sci
3: fi TV did
1: one. was a made for T V go ahead. Yeah.
3: Yeah, there was there was a movie, the 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 Lynch movie, and then there was a Made for T V miniseries, which are, I think two or three nights over two or three nights and then they are currently the same the same team who did the the miniseries are currently the only production company to ever do a a story beyond the first book so they they went straight into children's of dune which was an amalgamation of doom messiah and children's oh. of dune um children of dune not children's i don't know what that was but anyway um and so, and that was, they were good for what they were, you know, they were early 2000sies and they were, they were really solid. And they were, they were pretty popular. They're famous. The guy couldn't get funding to continue on, which is probably a good thing because God Emperor, which was next.
0: and So this is book. interesting. Fade, Fade Rotha is not listed in the credits. Mm, so he's going to be a stunt cast probably. Well, for the second one, for the he second might not be. Yeah. He
3: might not be in it.
0: Yeah. He might not be, in might the not be there. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's been broken into two films. This cast for Lynch's film,
4: wow! I mean, my goodness, uh, and at Latham,
0: that, Latham, Baron Harkonnen Is Stellan Skarsgård.
4: Ah, uh, okay. Oh. I mean, but this cast for Lynch's film, holy crap! Did he just get everybody at the time? Yeah. for his movie, he, he got a his it's cast. Nuts.
0: That casting, that movie was fantastic.
4: It is nuts.
2: I, uh,
0: you know,
4: I'm going to see it, but the I don't. Of, Uh, I I don't – all I'd say is I don't get – maybe at the time these themes or maybe the deep themes in this book I have yet to discover, but, you know, they make a big deal of this scene with you put your hand in this box and if you don't keep it there, I'm going to kill you. And I don't – that doesn't impress me as a theme or as a scene or as a science fiction anything. It always bothered me that that's supposed to be impressive. It it really – doesn't do anything for me. It was just so, test. the first time he. I have a I have a, Latham, I have a question. Have you read the book? Uh, I read it when I was real young. I, I can barely reference. All right. It. Well, that's kind of. I'm kind of with you on that. So I don't. I don't remember how that scene worked out in the novel, as far as. But that's a big theme of the of the story, right, Hassan? He, he discovers that he is not that he's important, but that
3: his importance is right. a, is a problem. For a lot of other people Uh, so it's actually it becomes a bigger deal right and that he's 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 basically on the radar of a lot of people that he's never even heard of yet so that's kind of the that's his sort of that's his
0: call to action or that's his first that's a precursor to a call to action for the character and it's a test it's a test by this this group of women who are the right. Bene Gesserit, and they, like, bring him in and they're, like, basically, you know, the, the stories are all floating around and fluttering about about him being this mythical, this figure from sort of their mythology come to life, and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. We've seen it before, and it's never panned out. But the thing is, is they bring him in, and it's like, this is the test. This is the test right. to see, because, like, the 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 sisterhood, I mean, it's all women in this thing. They don't have males involved. And, yeah. and so when to have him come in and have these abilities inherent that is why the test is done and to not only do the test but to pass
3: the test correct beyond where any of the other benny Gesserit sisters had ever been able to pass right or were lasting longer than any of them had ever been able to do yeah basically solidifies the fact that the guy is and it also that that scene also seals the fate of his family seals the fate of his father Seals the fate of uh you know of the of the Atreides once they go to Arrakis it it's a key point. Yeah, the genius of it is it's very subtle and it's not really foreshadowed as a very as a as a powerful scene. And even after you've seen it, you don't you don't really register it as though something pivotal has happened. But if you go back, if you trace it all back, that's the that those are you know those those are where all the vines start to grow out of the out of the right right uh, okay you know the garden or whatever. Ah. So.
0: All right, so Latham's on the fence. I'm looking forward to it. Hassan's looking forward to it, and Walter is it, cautiously it looks, optimistic.
3: The <laughs> only negative thing I say about it is it looks sterile. That's that, and, and, and as Latham says, in comparison to the visually, the visual feast mm-hmm. that was uh, uh, David Lynch's version, this looks, It It. I don't know how Villeneuve does it, because it looks absolutely epic. But it also does look very artistically
0: flat, in in the in the same washed out way that Arrival did.
3: Yeah, in the same in the same way that the 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 Blade Runner did. It just looks kind of like you have to you have to hunt for the art in it, like the of the of the artistic flair or the or the the aesthetics. You have to <laughs> you have to really dig deep for the the aesthetic characteristic of it, because a right. lot of it is just. Kind of sterile. A lot of it is people in rooms staring at something, and I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> I really don't. I really don't have a problem. But if if you when when you saw um, a couple of clips of the David Lynch version, like every everything in the David Lynch Dune, every frame is kind, is like a is like an oil painting. You know, it's just there's so much. There's embroidery on the walls. There's the you know. There's all kinds of you know there's 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 all kinds of characteristic aesthetics that let you know that you're kind of in an alien world you know from far far away this is a little different now we've only seen like the, the, the most minuscule amount of it Yeah. so i have and i and i and i've i've loved his other movies so i have no doubts in a stand but it does look a little visually flat okay. um and i'm
1: i'm I sh- have the runtime on that yet what's that what's the run time on
0: that it's it's gonna be two films yeah
1: two films all right that's right you mentioned that
3: so it's most likely gonna no well that'll be a spoiler but everybody pretty much knows most likely where the cliffhanger is gonna be
0: and then and then we'll have to wait for the next movie i don't know did he make both movies yeah they should only come out a year apart or possibly in a spring in a spring christmas release kind of format depending on what next year will even be like well true you know? but i mean i'm saying the cycle will be it'll be it won't it, sh- it won't be more than a year apart on the two films yeah, we hope we can only hope no i'm just saying i don't think that it'll be i'm uh, yes i get what you're saying but i'm saying is i don't think that they're going to release it and then hold off two years between a second half i think that if, at the most there'll be a year between films right but they'll do it like they did harry potter or they you know the last harry potter film or they you know any of those things where they had a two part you know of the of the yeah. the main thing and are and we're able to shoot the the majority did, of it did they
3: film before. it simultaneous the two, the two have simultaneous I think or? I think
0: he shot it as one film I he think did. he shot I think he shot everything as one thing knowing one yeah knowing they were going to go and and find a spot in the middle to break it but I think he yeah, shot right. it as one story not two separate productions it would make it would make sense Walter's film choice for this episode: *The Professionals*.
4: A few daring men, specialists, led by you, could do it in one bold,
0: swift stroke. What we really need is an equalizer, a dynamiter, a man with a delicate touch to blow out a candle without putting
2: a dent in the candle holder.
4: Philippine campaign, Cuba with Roosevelt's Rough Riders. Join Pancho Villa as weapons expert and tactician.
0: Ex-cavalryman, cattle boss, wrangler, bullwhacker, packmaster. Specialist
4: with rifle, rope, and longbow. Most dependable scout and tracker in the territory. That's
0: a letter woman there. Beautiful. I see guts.
2: Go to hell.
0: Yes, ma'am. I'm on my way. To die for money is foolish. To die for a woman is more foolish. Any woman. From 1966, directed by Richard Brooks, with a running time of 117 minutes. Four men are hired by a wealthy businessman to go and rescue his kidnapped wife. Turns out the kidnapper is an old acquaintance of the rescuers. However, as is almost always the case, things may not be exactly what they seem, and there may be some unfinished business to be had. Walter, why the professionals? (laughs) I think I, I just, I
1: I love the actors that were in it. Um, Lee Marvin, Burt Lancaster, Robert Ryan, Woody Strode. Ralph Bellamy, Jack Palance, Claudia Cardinale were the, the main actors and actresses in the movie. And uh, I love the writing. I think the writing was great. I think it's, you know, it's the kind of dialogue many of us would like to speak in real life. But, <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I, gee, I wish I were that snappy in real life. But I, I like the characters themselves. I like their interplay. I like the fact that the story gets kind of turned upside down before it's finished. I like that it has one of the best closing lines of any movie I've ever seen myself. I haven't seen as many movies as you guys, so I don't want to push that too hard. Oh, but for me, yeah. <laughs> one of the best lines I've ever seen at the end of a film. Um, and I'm, I just, I really enjoyed it. It's also one of the very few movies, I would hesitate to say the only film, but one of the very few movies I've ever saw in a drive-in. I was, uh, <laughs> this, this goes back to my uranium hunting days <laughs> again. See, I did a lot of that stuff. Just that one. A lot summer. happened yeah.
3: in that time. It's
1: a oh, thing. lot. Pivotal. It was just three months in Utah. There wasn't much else going on.
3: Well, he read all of doing in a Utah. day. So how much? How much excitement? Well, I, did. I Well, I,
1: you know, I tried to cram in a lot. But it was a. I lived in Moab, Utah, for the summer uh, before it became the dirt bike capital of America. This was a long time ago, and uh, summer of '68, and they had a drive-in theater. I don't think they had a regular, an enclosed theater, and so one night. I didn't know much anything else to do. They were playing this. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, I, what did you say? It came out sixty six. Sixty six. All right. So this is like two years later. So I'm sure the theater in Moab just got random stuff that was coming around. Right. So I went to see it. Just got you know I kind of knew the cast and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a great a great bit of escapist stuff for a guy who was in Moab, Utah, waiting through the summer being a gopher in uranium mining. So. I just thought I, I one thing I will say—I'll jump to the second movie as well. I like both. I hadn't—I was struck by this. I ended up watching both these films today uh, on DVD uh, just to refresh my memory. I, professionals, I've seen a lot. Castle Keep, I hadn't seen in a long time. Well, one of the things I liked in both films—I was struck by it, seeing the two movies together. I—I I, I wouldn't have thought otherwise—is the the use of landscape in both mm. films. There's a quality of, in the desert landscapes. One of these are be, our dissolves or shots or whatever they are where we've got some guys being pursued and they'll use their binoculars and they'll look and the camera will pan off in the direction that they're looking in their binoculars and they'll look at the mountains in the distance. And then they'll slowly move to the scene of the pursuers. They're not in the binocular shot, but you get the, you completely understand the idea that they're behind them somewhere and not that far away. And so I just liked the way the landscape was used in that movie. And I was struck more by it because I love the way landscape is used in Castle Keep. It's very much not the same kind of thing. The desert in The Professionals is much bigger. Uh, Castle Keep is really the castle. Um, But it starts off with a muddy shot. The guy's pushing their Jeep through the mud. And the gook looks like a Bill Maldon cartoon of Willie and Joe has that quality. And then within a few minutes, there's snow, and there's snow everywhere, and you get fairyland. You get this fabulous castle in the middle of fairyland, and the war is somewhat remote. But you have this, you have this landscape feel, a location feel in that film. And I was, I was struck by the fact that I thought the landscape was used really nicely in both movies. So that's one of the many things in The Professionals I like. I just like the interaction of characters. I thought they developed the individual characters really nicely. I thought, and I, you know, I could probably watch Lee Marvin and or Burt Reynolds read the phone book and be interested. And I thought as characters, they were hysterical together. They were really funny as, as old comrades in arms who had had somewhat different views about their experiences in the Mexican revolution um, were somewhat different guys, but ended up being a little more on the same page by the time the film was over. So I just thought it was great. I just, I remember watching it, um, you know, pre, what was the second Indiana Jones film? The yeah, Temple of Doom. Of Doom. Yeah, no. Pre-Temple of Doom, mining cars, racing down.
4: Oh my God, I get you know, it, yeah.
1: uh, Railings, uh, rails uh, to try and escape. And, uh, you know, once the action starts, uh, once the water tower blows up, and what, a half an hour, 40 minutes to go, it's pretty much nonstop from that point on. Right. And I just, but I like the setup. A uh, Bert Lancaster's introduction, where he is uh, in bed yeah. with uh, a yes romance. He's <laughs> he running down, this, running down the street in his undies. Basically, and he's, he, and he's, he's in, in prison,
3: still in his underwear. It yeah. was
1: hysterical. <laughs> that was just, and then woman, and Lee Marvin comes to bail him out, and basically just sort of hands him this bottle of hooch so he can drink because he's obviously yeah. chilling. So, rise right, little touches, little touches of character as well that were. Just in the glances, it was something I saw. I can't remember what it was now, but there were little little touches where characters revealed, and in the interactions of those actors and actresses, the character was revealed in a mm-hmm. way that I thought even the small characters had the had a uh, a life within the film. the The Mexican soldier, the woman, I yes, her name is an actress, Chiquita, Chiquita, but Chiquita doesn't have a very big role.
0: No, but helps huge. Bert
1: Lancaster understand what makes a woman worth 100,000 pieces of gold?
0: That's right. In a that's way right. that
1: was really fantastic. And, that, and actually, I will say, Jack uh, Palance didn't have a lot to say in the film. He mostly, he's mostly pretty quiet. You know, a little, a bit, and then he has one big scene at the end there. Right. Where he and Burt Lancaster have their discussion about the meaning of the revolution and yep. what it is to be a revolutionary. And that's, that scene and his dialogue is one of my favorite pieces of dialogue in any film. I just thought when they're talking about the, we see the revolution as she really is. She was never saintly. She was never pure. We see her as what she is as a whore. And then it describes what you do when you, you leave the revolution, have extorted sort of affairs, you come back, all that stuff. I thought that was just some fabulous writing. And so one of the things about that movie is I just, even, even the, pit, the short pithy stuff and then the longer pithy stuff, I just love the writing.
0: Yeah, I, I had, I, I'll be honest, I had never heard of this movie. And I'm a little surprised because, uh, you know, this is sort of in the wheelhouse of films that I like. And I, I when you when you mentioned it, I, I, I didn't know that it was a Western, you know, from the title, from the title, you wouldn't necessarily think right. Western. But uh, I'll tell you 15 minutes into this, uh, I was I was completely on board. Uh, this contains several uh, of my favorite bits of story elements for uh for a film of this nature i'd get a main character with a skilled past uh who's kind of in a holding position or treading water uh you know just kind of doing what he can to get by and uh he gets hired for a job and he ends up uh, pulling in uh, an old friend or an old colleague or someone he has a history with uh who's got a very specific skill set or a very you know something he needs in order to complete the job and they have a very firm established strong loyal relationship between those two characters and then you know you round out with you know like the site your the remainder of your group with guys like woody strode and robert ryan i you you can't miss i mean this is this is a movie where it's like as i said I, i don't know why how i how I missed hearing about this beforehand. I mean, I know that Richard Brooks is not, I mean, he's got some serious weight to his, his film history as as a director. And we'll get into that later, but I just don't know how I never would have, this never would have really come across my, 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 my range of view or my ever really hearing about it. I loved it. Uh, I had a blast that whole second, or I mean, I, I don't know if you want to call it the second act. It's more like the, the, the second and a half act, the whole sequence where Burt Lancaster is holding up the group in the, at the pass in order to give those guys time to get back is, is way longer than it should be. And it shouldn't work. And it completely works That, that you're like, there's no way this should be holding it this position, this long doing what he needs to do. And yet it's so important to the whole movie as a whole it's it's almost like that. That's the third act of the film, and that little piece that they get to at the end is just this little wrap up that you know is, a, is a, an interesting little aside, and that really that last chunk, that whole twenty or twenty five minute sequence with him and and the, the bandito and getting getting them through the pass and everything uh, is was just I, it just really stuck out to me.
1: Hit and run, stall and retreat. And that whole thing—that's exactly what I've
0: seen. Yeah, and like you said, the 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 dialogue between the characters—the Lee Marvin, Burt Lancaster—and from and from what I read, they didn't really get along all that much because Burt Lancaster claimed that Lee Marvin was drunk all the time. However, he you know him and Woody Strode, you know Richard Brooks was known as a kind of a, a hard ass as a director, and so he used to push and yell, and he was an old school guy. He would he would get on set and he'd be yelling, and uh, Woody Strode said. You, you never had a problem hearing him, even on outdoor location shooting. You never had a problem hearing him, what the directions were. Trust me. Wow. And uh, I, I just it, – it's one of those things where you, you, find, you discover a movie like this and uh, the part of that era, especially with Westerns, because, I mean, there, and there's a ton of old Westerns that I haven't seen. Uh, and I just I – just, I really like this. This was, a, this was so much fun. This was, this was a great pick.
1: Uh, I will say that one thing about it, because if you're describing it as a Western, which it is, but it's also a very late Western chronological. Yes, yes. This right. after the Mexican Revolution. Yeah, there are cars and, and
0: machine guns. Yes.
1: So it's like I don't know what year it's in. That we refer there are references. It's, it's got to be at least after not uh, 1911. And yeah, it may, right. be, I don't know when the Mexican Revolution broke out for sure. But it's got to be right around there. Got to be some like six, seven, eight years after that happened. I think they talked about right been being in the Revolution for six years. So it's got to be not 19. 17, 18.
3: Yeah. That's like, a good guess. Something like that. So it's, it's a Western, but it's late. Yeah. Hassan. There's a scene in this movie where they find Bellamy's wife and then she tries to get away and she falls down and Lee Marvin is got her body arm and he's got his rifle and it's, and like just the composition of that shot. I'm like, Oh my God, that's, and it look, it, it, it I know it was staged. That's fine. But there's a quality of this era of film where the visuals actually don't look like put up visuals. Like it looked like, it it looks like, (laughs) it looks like men actually like physically moved around and walked around and talked like this. You know, they were there. It didn't seem like any of them were acting also like, I'm sorry to hear that. There's a naturalism
0: to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's,
3: it's not necessarily a natural. It's, well, it is natural, but it's like, it's a, oh, I don't know how to, 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 to describe it. It's a naturalized like pretense because like, these guys are like really macho, but it's not over the top. Like you just buy it, you know, you usually Marvin and they, they they both they're tough are tough guys. Yeah. But I mean, they're not Bruce Willis, tough guys, you know, they're, 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 they're been there, done that. We don't even have to talk about right. what we've done and yeah. seen kind of right. tough guys, you know? They're hard
0: men. Yeah, well, right.
3: I, I understand that. But I mean, most, most modern filmmakers would, or m- most modern actors would feel the need to somehow explain their toughness or they right. would have to have a sequence. So it's...
1: One thought about that. I, I saw the movie Waterworld a million years ago, whenever it came <laughs> out. And one of the things about it, and I, I'm not getting into the discussion of Waterworld, but there was, as I remember, there was a little girl that, that our yes. hero tried to rescue. And it was very odd. I remember, because we were, you know, it's kind of like that opening of Dune I talked about earlier, where Kevin Costner's trying to get on the ship, or whatever, he's coming closer, and so on. And she's talking to Dennis Hopper, and she's talking in captions about, oh, he's, it's a shadow coming closer, and he's doing this, and he's doing that. And I thought, you know, I don't have to hear any of this crap. Just show me some of this stuff. And yeah. in, in The Professionals, you saw enough to know how tough these guys were. I know one of my favorite lines, the beginning, and and Marvin throws it off with a little, almost a sort of a smile where Ralph Bellamy, other good actors in it, is looking at a photograph of him from a number of years at the beginning of the revolution. And yeah. He picked him with all the, a couple of the other guys, who the bad guy and Burt Lancaster, and says, your hair was darker then. Yeah. And he stops yeah. for a moment, and he kind of looks down a little bit to his left and puts a little, almost a smile and says, my heart was life with them. Yeah. But he sort of throws it away in a way that makes it just almost funny and believable.
2: Yeah. And, right. and of course, right. you
1: discover over the course of the movie that, yes, his heart probably was a lot like yeah. that. Right. So well,
0: he you was, can tell. He's wearing he wears. And, and, it. and Hassan, just to be clear, when I say hard men, I don't classify hard men as someone like Liam Neeson and Taken or Bruce Willis and Die Hard. Those aren't hard men. I'm talking about guys of this age when I say yeah. hard men.
1: Okay. They just, they just look. Uh, they look sanded down. Yeah. Almost down to the essence.
3: On usually on Tuesday nights of uh, friends of mine we get on Zoom and we watch a movie. This particular Tuesday we watched um <laughs> we watched uh uh the Water thing World? on the 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 thing on the doorstep. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it it you know, it's just it was one, it's a movie off of Alex. Alex was someone that chose it. I'm sorry, I need a little more
1: establishing shot. I haven't come across. This sounds like an H.P. Lovecraft movie. It is. Yeah, it's fun.
3: But I'll describe it to you. Like, it's... um,
1: And when you guys choose movies, are you choosing movies you've already seen, that one of you has already seen?
3: Sometimes. Sometimes... I've been choosing movies that I that I know we've already seen, but I think they're they're just funny that we'll just enjoy watching, like sitting okay. together. Like, like, yes, one of the films I chose was Roadhouse, you know, and also time after time, the, oh, I think yeah. it was Meyer's first movie oh, with uh, with Malcolm point. McDowell, so one of my favorite yeah. movies, right? So well, it's just stuff like that. Alex just has it. He p p scans like um, Amazon and Netflix and whatever for interesting stuff. He's he's read all Lovecraft movies. There was this movie the uh, uh the thing on the doorstep. It's it's ratings really low. It's a low
0: budget film.
3: It wasn't really a good film.
0: Because you don't have to buy you don't have to pay anybody. Yeah, absolutely. To make Lo- you don't have to pay anybody to make Lovecraft movies.
3: How long ago did it come and, out? And you shouldn't um probably 3 years ago. Not oh. not long not yeah. that long at all.
0: There's a there's a if you look on Amazon, sorry, but there's a lot of stuff on Amazon, Walter and Netflix. A lot of like independent and like amateur filmmakers will tackle Lovecraft because of their love of the material. Sure. And it's very it rarely
4: outside the uh, it's uncopyrighted, too.
0: Yes. Yeah. Right. So it's all public domain. So it's like, they don't have to pay anyone. They can adapt it. They can make it as a film. Yeah. They don't. And it's, you know, obviously it's something that they love. Very rarely do they really do much of anything worth watching. That's
3: the, the, the situation was these guys, the people in this movie were actors. They were decent actors, but they were stage actors. And you could tell one person in that movie, maybe two were film and television actors. You could tell, because those two people, whenever they came on the, the the screen, they spoke their dialogue as though they were acting, and then they didn't move because they knew the camera would do all the movement for them. The camera would do the close-ups, the camera would do you know, or different angles or whatever. So they they basically concentrated on delivering their lines with the with the appropriate uh, emotions that they you know of, of the scene. Meanwhile, the person they were acting against. Was probably either an amateur actor or a stage actor, so they resorted to moving constantly. They were just every time, every time something happened, they would they would get up, they would do something, or they would move and grab something, and you know whatever. And you could, it was just so blatant, like it was the same as a uh, you know Bugsy Malone when uh, when Jodie Foster came on. It's like oh my god, like it's but you know it was it wasn't apparent until you see another actor who just and it was. Yeah, this this um, one of the actors, one of the TV actors, was an old old man with uh, you know supposedly oxygen tubes going out of his nose, so he wasn't able to move around a lot. He was seated in a, a wheelchair, and he was talking about his son, and he was explaining that you know to to, to this guy, you got to go help my son out because my son is he looks up to you, and you know he's getting himself into trouble. And this guy was mesmerizing, just by the way he presented. The, his spiel, like the, the way he presented the situation to the other guy. And the other guy's doing all this, you know, all this gesticulating and, you know, and his, and you just tell, like, Oh, this guy does not know how to hold on to, I mean, but he's probably from the stage where if you went to a play, you, you wouldn't want to watch two people on a sofa for, for, you know, an entire act. They, they're, they're a hundred feet away. Right. Yeah. The basic principles that they get up and move around and kind of use the, the scenery. So it was just very blatant, like that. The whole reason I was telling that story is because <laughs> Burt Lancaster and Lee Marvin just kind of owned everything. The minute you saw them, the the minute they, oh for well, Lee Marvin is he's Lee
0: Marvin. He's the king Marvin's of, he's of, the king yeah, of he's,
3: that. He's hard to. He's he's a hard man to ignore. Right? He just commands the whole thing as soon as he starts.
0: He's a guy I would have loved to know in person, simply for the fact that when you see him in his movie roles he never strays very far off of a center line of how that character comes across but you never for an instance doubt who he is in that movie that you're watching he's always the guy he's supposed to be but if you if you looked at all his different roles back to back or i think that if you piece together a reel with little bits of him in 10 or 15 different movies the characters wouldn't be that far from each other, really. No, so all... I would love to have known him in person to see what he was like as just a regular guy as opposed to how he appears on screen. Uh,
2: well,
3: apparently he was a drunk. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> in
0: accordance to what you were saying. And then somebody else claimed that at the, during the shoot that, it, like, that there was never a day that he didn't show up. Yeah. He was drinking at night and they were shooting outside Vegas. And so at night they would be at their hotel in Vegas and him and Woody Strode would get into a bunch of trouble and, and be drinking all night. And then on the ride in on the ride in the next morning, Woody was like, he Lee Marvin sitting in his sitting in the car, going through his script, learning all his lines right there for the day. And, you know, by the time they got the set, he was ready to rock and roll. He was never unprofessional about it. He didn't have a lot of long speeches or lines in that movie true
3: no no
4: Sorry, what go I ahead. Had
3: first. he was a very centering presence in yeah. it and uh and Lancaster with you know both of them very subtle Lancaster basically a little nearer to the end of his rope than Marvin, you know, or <laughs> hasn't hasn't made the piece with their past that, that uh, Marvin has, you know, to, to whatever it's Cause Marvin has more of a stillness to him, but even though even Lancaster who was more restless, wasn't overtly restless, you know, he was just in comparison to Lee Marvin's kind of stillness. He was more, he was, he was more of chaotic, you know, in, in his decisions of what to do and, you know, and how to, how to go about things and,
0: and well, what Lee Marvin what had some outcome, heavier baggage though too.
3: Lancaster felt yeah. he felt as a
1: character like he was full of energy inside even still as an older guy that he had you know Marvin had interiorized his energy in some way he he could stand there and just be and yeah. and Lima and uh, Britt Lancaster was still not quite the energizer bunny of the crew but he had that quality where yeah he just he still really had a restlessness kind of energy to him. as a character that was I mean it's also I think it's kind of like I don't know if that's how Burt Lancaster was in real life. It almost feels like it in some of the roles you see him in. But <laughs> one of the things I did like about the movie, despite the fact that I knew who all the principal actors were, I didn't watch it and think, once I was into it, I do not watch it and think, oh, yeah, that's Lee Marvin.
2: Right,
3: right.
1: Well, that's right. Burt Lancaster. I'm, always, I'm aware of it, but it never interferes with my appreciation of their character or their
3: interactions or the story itself. Yeah. Another thing the movie has is that the modern writers just don't have this quality anymore of, uh, or, or, or maybe it depends. It, it's, it's, it's uh, it's up in the air as to whether it's, it's a, it's a virtue or not. But the Robert Ryan character was basically not on board with a lot of what was going on. He had a, you know, he was much more of a, he still had his moral compass, basically a little more so and it, which which is funny in the film it's played as a liability for him in the, in that in under the circumstances yeah. but he would be the person that we would more we would mostly most normal people would most likely be in that in the, yeah. under those circumstances wow. and he's there partially to provide lancaster with his stillness so like lee marvin is a rock lancaster is a little more shaky but compared to robert ryan he's he's a couple of miles further down the road of development so he you know put next to robert ryan robert ryan looked like an infant you know in in pretty much in those circumstances and his restlessness or his his chafing against uh, the way marvin and lancaster were doing things or were going about things was a was a set piece in the film but they didn't feel required obligated to bring that to any kind of fruition you know it's just that they, they chafed against each other because he had a different perspective on how things should be done. But all right. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes dudes don't get along, you know. In in modern movies that would he would be the guy end up betraying them all to Raza or he would you know, it would it would in modern movies they would they would feel obligated to, to cash in on that foreshadow, you know, or that or that that, that character setup
0: also on the payoff too, because if you remember when he said, I really want, you know, I, why do we got to shoot the horses? And he's like, well, I think they'll go North to the water. And he's like, well, they could go South and then they're going to find them and wonder where the guys who were on these horses went. And he's yeah. like, and he's like, fine, well, you know, I'll, we'll let them go. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And then in the next scene, you find out that those guys were like, well, these five horses came back with no people on them. We wonder where those five guys went. Yeah, And it's like, so that the whole thing that Lee Marvin chafed against happening happened, but then it doesn't get, it, it doesn't get brought up. He doesn't go back to Robert Ryan and see, I fucking told you. No. no,
4: but Robert Ryan says, don't worry, I'll shoot the horse. Yes, that's right. That's how they yeah.
1: resolve that.
4: So he learned, he learned from what happened.
1: He, right, he's like,
0: now we need him.
1: <laughs> yeah. But he, he has learned to be a somewhat different guy than he was yeah. in the first part of the he film. He was the first character. That was the resolution that, of resolution of that part of his character. Yeah, But his development
3: is so subtle. Like, his, oh, oh, it's, oh, yeah. it's all done with glances and, like, you know, people, everybody looking at him like, everybody got that now? Are we all on the same page? We're not going to make that same mistake again. So it just doesn't treat you like an idiot. Like, you know, we all know that guy has learned, right? Okay. So we're yeah. done. You know, that part is done. And then so, um, so there's, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the movies from this era are like this. But that one kind of struck me the hardest because these are, you know, the the the, the because we got Lancaster and we got uh, uh, Lee Marvin, basically because we have uh, uh, actors that powerful. You can you could do more things with your eyes. You could do more subtle. So you can you can behave more subtly, and you don't have to. You there, there was probably pages of dialogue that was taken out of the script that just wasn't necessary because people people would know people would understand exactly. Okay. This guy's never going to make this dumb mistake again. So we don't have to, you know, we don't have to scold him. We don't have to do anything about it. Let's just get on with the film. And it's, it's, it's very rare to do that. Like looking at that and then looking at other modern classics that I still love, they just, nobody, no director from today would take the chance that the audience understood that Robert Ryan had learned this lesson you know, they would have to make a, yeah. a larger point of it. They'd have to make overt. a full, right. yeah. yeah. you know, again, it's another one of those, uh, another one of these circumstances. I I, I had never seen, I think I heard of this movie, but I've never seen it. I'd never watched it before. So it was an amazing experience. Um, I, exactly what you said, Steve, like the minute it started, I mean, first of all, with Lee Marvin just firing that, that machine gun, right. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then um, as it starts and, we got we got uh, Bellamy and I'm like okay it's Ralph Bellamy so that's uh, that's Randolph Duke you that's know right. so so we're good and and then he starts he's talking about his wife the only thing I would say and that's just because of being a student of movies and I'm sure everybody else would say, the the, the first thing I says your your wife didn't accidentally get kidnapped dude your wife left you you know that was the first <laughs> thing I said it's like there's no way she oh she just happened to be riding her horse across Mexico. the Mexican border, you know, because she loves old Mexico. Like, like, listen, the way things were developed these days, you know, Texas is old Mexico. Like you can, you can see Mexico, you just look at some rocks. It's, it doesn't, it, there's not a big aesthetic difference.
0: That, so That's one of those story elements that's been done so many times that, yeah, it, now like, you'd look at it and think that, but back then, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure at the have, time. But yeah,
3: but yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm but I'm sitting there like, oh come on, dude. Like you know, the twist is going to be that she left you. Like, you got you got to <laughs> look Bellamy. Face it, face it. She, and it's like if if um if we Marvin to go. Yeah, she 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 got kidnapped. Sure, you know the the old uh, the old Robert Baratheon situation, huh? All right, yeah, fine. We'll we'll go get her. That's that's great. Thanks for yeah. you know. So, but it but that didn't diminish it. But I just, I just remember just watching it. though, there's no way that this woman was accidentally, you know. <laughs> and then when I saw that they that Raza was Jack Palance, I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, there's no way. But um, it didn't diminish anything. It was a fantastic experience. I enjoyed it. Like
4: it's a uh, yeah. It you know it's it's a good movie. It's very crisp. And had you seen ha- it? No, okay. No, not before this. I hadn't even heard of it. Unlike a lot of the movies we've seen lately where there's a lot of long takes of I'm characters or extended things, extended shots to show someone thinking or what they're doing. Uh, There's no wasted time in this. Uh, You know, we've we've done lean movies before. This one's about as lean as it gets. It just moves from the beginning and keeps going. I'm convinced Spielberg saw that mine car little sequence that isn't that long and decided to put a full action scene in temple of doom because of it. you you never feel like what's happening in the movie couldn't happen. And that's, that's one reason why I liked it. Contrary to what Steve said, I think the only time the movie betrays itself is that is the scene where Burt Lancaster has to slow them down. I think it's just a little long. I understand why, but it betrays the pace of the rest of the movie. And it didn't, it didn't lose me there. I still enjoyed it a lot, but If there was anything I would change, that would be the only scene, just part of it. It just seemed a little bit overwrought. And then cutting to them still, the few shots of them trying to get home or get back to the uh, creek under the bridge was, uh, just didn't seem to fully work. But overall, I enjoyed the movie. You know, all the actors are great. You know, you could could put uh, Claudia um, Cardinal in a room with a blender and a chipmunk. And I'd give the movie an extra star, okay? It, I mean, it It doesn't, she's just breathtaking to look at. And we we did Once Upon a Time in the West uh, last month or whenever it was, and I probably said the exact same thing. She's just, I mean, she's one of those women actresses you just, you wait till she comes back on screen because she's just breathtaking to look at. And she's a good actress and played the part well. So that was good. Yeah, I like the ending. I, I agree with Hassan. The I never for once believed she had been kidnapped. I knew that was the trick of the movie. And I know we've seen a lot of movies, but that you know, that it still works. And back then I'm sure it worked really well as a uh, plot device. No, I, I don't have much more to say about it. I, I enjoyed it. I, I ne again, I, I never would have watched it if Walter hadn't picked it. So it's that's it's a pleasure when you see a movie you haven't heard about and you like like it a lot. You know, when you have a list of movies you want to watch and then you find one that someone else recommends that you end up liking, that's, that's like a treat. One thing I will say
1: about, uh, this is, this is I've, I've watched it a lot over the years, mostly I've, the second half. I see it, it comes on TV, it's already running. I just hop in, always seems to be the second half of the movie is what I end up watching, but I've seen it all, but not for a long time. All, well, sometime, all the way through. I'm old enough now. This is the first time I've watched it. I looked at Claudia Cardinale and she looked very young to me (laughs) I hadn't thought about it and I don't know how old she was in the film but she just looked like a young woman to me before this I wouldn't have thought that when I I saw it originally in 68 she was just a great looking babe she was just a hot you know lovely woman with just the word woman on that and now I look at it and go boy is she young (laughs)
2: <laughs> Not
4: they don't know how young she really is 28 or 29 in the movie okay okay
0: that's about right yeah so th- some interesting some interesting production stuff on this most of the guys or uh, the main four characters the main four guys a lot of them uh woody strode had to do all his own stunts because they didn't have any black stuntmen with anyone near his stature or build Okay. So there was nobody they had to be able to double him. So he just did his own stunts. Burt Lancaster insisted on doing all his own stunts except for climbing the wall to set the dynamite. That was the I only one that. That the, the studio would not let him do. You know,
1: that was watching it today. I'm uh, looking yeah. at that scene going. I'm not sure that's
0: Burt Lancaster. <laughs> and, and when I wa- when I watched it, I was like, fuck, that's a great stunt. Because I'll guarantee you, there's no harnesses or anything on that dude. That dude's walking up that cliff wall. Yeah. yeah really impressive. Crazy. Woody Strode's work on this film led to his opportunities in the Spaghetti Western. So the, his, this is the movie that kind of got him those Leone roles. Nice. Um, Lee Marvin was quoted as saying about the production, Shooting was postponed one day because of rain. I turned to Bert Lancaster and joked about rain never bothering a Marine. Lancaster nodded and said he'd been a PFC in the army. And I told him that didn't count. Director Brooks, Robert Ryan and Millie Marvin had all held the rank of PFC in the Marine Corps. He's like, then the irony of the situation dawned on me. All those millions riding on the back of PFCs made me wonder what the colonels were doing that day. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie was nominated for three Oscars. And it lost all three to A Man for All Seasons.
1: What was it nominated for? Do you Director,
0: know? Adapted Screenplay, and Cinematography. Yeah, Cinematography oh, wow. for sure. And this was the only this was the only film that was nominated for Adapted Screenplay that was not up for Best Picture. Oh. And uh, so the success of the movie uh, led to calls for a sequel, of course. Mm. But only with all four main actors if they were on board because apparently the backlash that the studio that made the magnificent seven took when the sequel to that came out and only yule brinner was involved mm. they decided that they were not going to follow that road again and said well we'll make another one if all four of you guys are in uh they already all had four had full filming schedules and by the time the space could be cleared, Robert Ryan's health due to lung cancer made it impossible for him to uh, perform the physical nature of the, of the film. So, uh, And then he died in 1973, and all plans for a sequel were scrapped at that point. So,
1: You know, it's funny, because watching it tonight, or this afternoon, well, tonight I watched it. I finished it like 10 minutes before this show. But <laughs> watching it uh, tonight, uh, in the last shot where the four of them are riding the camera, or actually they're riding and holding in the proportions the same as they ride with the camera, I was thinking, man, I would like to have seen a sequel to this movie. <laughs> yeah, right? With these yeah. guys. Yes. I would love to. I mean, you know, and I also thought a lot of times sequels don't live up to the original show. Yeah. But these right. guys were so cool. I'd, I would like to have seen something with all four of them in it.
0: There, there were apparently talks of a remake back in 2001 being produced and directed by John Wu. This never materialized. And as of 2011, nothing's been as I've heard from since about it. So it's a property that's, that's ripe for someone to do if they wanted to, I suppose. And the one last bit that I, and I love this bit. So I don't know. You guys know who Richard Farnsworth is, right?
2: Yep. Yeah.
0: The actor. Yeah. So, Even I know. He, yes, well, I know I know you know. So he was, for years, but he didn't start acting until he was in his 50s or 60s, I think, really, getting in front of the camera. Oh. But he had been a stuntman for the, his whole career leading up to that point. Hmm. And he is the stuntman who taught Woody Strode how to shoot a bow and arrow for this movie. Oh, no wow. kidding. Yep. Well, I thought, that was, really I thought that was a fun little tidbit. That's really cool.
1: I love the bit where Woody's sitting there balancing the arrow and the dynamite and the, for the, he get, trying to figure yes, out yes. how would this work, you know. I, yeah. I don't know how it would work really either. I don't know if you could really strap four ounces of dynamite to an arrow and have any kind of a true flight. It's huge. Uh, but it's the movie.
0: Yeah. And I love the fact that he's like, how long is this in the air? Oh, about three seconds. Okay, so we so you've got about four seconds after you light it. <laughs> I loved it, like, they You know, he's doing all the math and everything. I loved that That was like his his, his little thing. So yeah,
3: I like when the when when Dolworth got captured by those three guys. Yeah, and they were like, all right, and they were literally just going to bowl over that hill and kill them all. And Marvin was like, it, it just just a succinct, no guns, you know. Until right. now, they, then they had to, they all came up with this completely different plan to, you know, to, to kind of triangulate and close in. But, and it, again, all done with very minimal dialogue with, you know, yeah. just a lot of hand gestures and I yeah. No bland. setup.
0: It just happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's very nicely handled. The, the, the working of like, like, like Walter said, the working of the, the characters together just felt very natural considering they just met, you know, two or three days earlier on a train car. For all them to have that sort of, you know, knew that, like you said, yeah. they were the professionals—they knew what they knew. They knew what they needed to do. It's just a matter of making it work with the guys you're with. So,
1: right. But also, when- as much as the movie drives forward and doesn't have any wasted stuff in it, there are moments I seem to remember. I have to watch it again. To, to, if I, I remember thinking about the time, there are moments where you'll see an actor, and there'll just be a moment of silence, just be the way he looks. Or his eyes will move or something like that. It's not full of dialogue, but they'll just you know, elucidate the character in a silent moment right. where they're not explaining who they are or anything like that. There were several of those in that film, I thought, that were I was just really, I thought was really neat.
0: Right, and that's the thing, those are the kinds of things that, you know, even if the, you know, when we talk about a movie being lean or, or you know, having extra dead weight in it, stuff like that, you know, there's a way to do that, that doesn't feel because it's doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. It's delivering you information, even if it's silently delivering you information and it's still important. Whereas if you let that run on another five seconds, then you're like, okay, why we, why are we hanging on here? Five seconds. But yep. they, this was, yeah, this is, yeah, this, this great movie. Great pick. Great It's like Wow.
4: <laughs> well, we're all, we're all done with the podcast tonight, right? Steve?
0: Uh, no, there's still at least one more place we have to go, Lay. Where's that? I think you know where. Down the tubes!
1: And again, the internet is not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's, it's a
2: series of tubes.
1: <laughs> where do we have to go? We're
4: looking, we're doing posters. You don't want to know.
1: Oh, oh, <laughs> Posters. What does that
2: All mean? We right. don't want to know. What time
0: okay. is it? Oh, eleven fifty-six. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so we're uh, we're opening up with the professionals' posters, and we are at USA, which is uh, as you'll find, it's kind of funny as we go through these. Each country oh. kind of did their own repainting of the characters for these posters. Of so as Pardon me, I was looking at close at my screen. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's
1: it's. Yeah. Well, at least they got all four major actors in the professional, right? Body exactly, and the, the hottie,
3: and the hottie. That's right. Who doesn't she's smiling while she's while she's uh yeah
0: tied up doesn't that's, uh, doesn't and it doesn't that doesn't look like her. It looks more like uh pulls that off someone else. But <laughs> well, I, I, really I, pop, that Lee Marvin pose is great.
2: Yeah, that's just, that's, that's, that's all just, Lee Marvin. Yeah,
0: that's just all Lee Marvin. But yeah, it's you know of the of the age and you know fits right in with that sort of uh that rough brush stroke uh finish on movie, the painted yeah. movie posters. Next is uh Italy. I love it. Yeah, just I mean it's just a beautifully painted image. That's
4: that doesn't Come really in. reveal much too. No. So. Uh, it's it's great.
0: I, I professionisti. Uh, next to it's Spain a lot, of, with,
3: with a lot with the gun to the girl's
0: head
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like
0: that yeah. and It's funny because if you don't know the, the, the movie at all It's like Lee Marvin looks like a park ranger He does <laughs> he's, he's a boy like, scout he's like, <laughs> We fight be,
1: forest with a professional right. Like, do forest fires
0: <laughs> yeah, Only you can prevent forest fires <laughs> Or I'm going to shoot you and, and Mexican kidnappings yeah, only, only you. <laughs> you. Or you know, it almost it almost seems like here that Burt, that Burt Lancaster is the bad guy and Lee yeah. Marvin is the good guy here. Yeah, it it's does. like <laughs> you didn't know. Also, him.
3: Lancaster looks a little younger than he actually is in the film.
0: Oh yeah, wow, that you know. Well, oh, I mean, man. Marvin doesn't you know looks a little it
1: looks. Young. It looks like it's back from the Elmer Gantry phase. Of his He's right. Career. There you it's go. <laughs> <like that. laughs> there you go. In fact, I don't remember his hair looked like that. I do wonder if this was, a, if it was picked up a photograph from some other film and used right. by the
0: painter. I wouldn't doubt it. They found some picture from something else. Yeah. Uh, next is Finland, This is actually another not terrible painting.
1: You know, it's, it must be a shot of Claudia Carnelli from somewhere. This is the same shot in the U.S. in the U.S. poster. It's the same picture. Yep. That's all right. It's actually very similar. they got the crossed gun belts and all four of the professionals and the girl, yep. which is the same elements that were in the American poster. I think be better that. And then
0: next is a Japanese one with utilizing just a bunch of images kind of uh, cobbled together.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, they got the train in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Jack and Jack Palance. They did. And That giant gun. That's the first one. Yeah. The job, the, the, that French machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we have a, uh, a lovely Czech poster. From Czechoslovakia.
1: That's very strange.
0: Yeah, yeah, I it's think. very super stylized.
3: Yeah, um, Is anybody actually wearing a costume like that? Like the, 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 the artist work. just didn't feel like drawing hands.
0: Yeah, <laughs> did, did Rob Liefeld yeah. do this? <laughs> uh,
1: I don't actually, think. I think the hands and the gun are probably photo montage, yeah. the, right? Yeah. Exactly,
0: exactly. And then if and even like, like the chest of the shirt up to the neck, yes, it's, it's like, like a little like
1: Russian that, constructivist post. yes, also,
0: yeah,
3: also, he's got. Six fingers. Yeah, he does. <laughs> wow.
1: That is impressive. He can he can keep firing for a long
0: time. Yes, he can. Good, good eye, Hassan. Actually, <laughs> wow. Not quite as stylized as our as our last poster, which is Whoa. from Poland. Holy crap.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got you got a rubber ducky. You got a banana <laughs> and you got a dinosaur in like a black pond. I don't get what's going on here. But at least at least the guy in the lower right sort of has a
1: hat like Smokey the Bear. Yes. Oh, it's
4: a oh, there's yes. three dudes there. Oh
1: god. <laughs> I didn't see it. Who
3: had the sombrero? Like which one yeah. of them had a okay. the go
0: the goat herd. Yeah, yeah. The goat okay. herd or I don't know. Did Jack Balance ever wear a hat? Did he have a sombrero No. Way? Oh well. Uh, and then the final one is uh, is a modern re-imagining. and Claudia got top billing on that one. Yeah, the final mm-hmm. one is a reimagining by an artist named Tony Stella. I like this one a lot. Yeah, this is
3: good. This yep. guy,
0: this guy works in that style, so he does a lot of these recreations of movies of that era. And yeah, this one fits perfectly. Good. They should, they should have hired this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think he ago. was born yet.
4: Yeah. <laughs> They should, <laughs> they should have just that. waited. Thing in He was a zygote. Not good. <laughs> yes. yep. Wow. But yeah, that's, that's nice. a
0: really beautiful image.
4: Yeah, I like
1: that
0: one. So the last, uh, the last little thing we do here, we call the Martini, and we just discuss briefly how this, how, how your main film, which is The Professionals, ranks in the sort of uh, the pantheon of that director's other works. Richard Brooks, as a director, has uh, directed, looks like, from 1944 through 85 was his last directing job, and he passed away in 92. So, this guy's got some, some real films to his name. He did Blackboard Jungle, he did In Cold Blood, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Elmer Gantry, one of my favorite westerns of all time, Bite the Bullet, Looking for Mr. Goodbar. This guy's. Oh, this guy was. Uh, he did some hurts. real movies. The, uh, I fever Pitch, are arguably the best version of the Brothers Karamazov. Last time I saw Paris, you know he's he's got some really great stuff.
4: I've only seen Fever Pitch in the professionals, so I'm going to go with professionals.
2: <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, if you if you haven't seen Bite the Bullet, lay you should put that on your list. That's that's a really really just it's 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 like a it's like a cannonball run western.
4: Oh, cool. Okay, I would like that.
0: Great cast: James Coburn, Candice Bergen, just a, a, a ton of great people who you'll recognize most of. And nice. it's it's like a cross country horse race. It's really it's really fun.
4: I feel like I might have seen In Cold Blood, but I can't remember.
0: Yeah, I know it, but I've, I know I've never seen it. But anyway, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is his highest-rated film. Yeah, of course. Uh, followed by Elmer Gantry, and then The Professionals. So, you know, I think yeah. that I mean, again, I haven't I I haven't seen a lot of his stuff either. But and for much as I love Bite the Bullet, uh, The Professionals was still a far better film.
2: Okay. Oh wow! I
0: But uh, Bite the Bullet's one of those ones. It's just you see it. You, you, it's you know you 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 fall in love with a movie because of where you are in that time. And then, you know, I've revisited that movie at least once uh, within the last 20 years, Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it still. So it holds up to my memory of it, which was nice. Um, There's always, there's this sequence in the film that I'll, that I, for some reason, just always stuck with me. Uh, One of the guys in the race is this, uh, you know, of course he gets, of course, shit upon a lot because he's a Mexican And it's the old West or not the old West. It's the new West, but uh, you know, he's still being sort of looked down upon because he's Mexican. And uh, there's a point at which he's got a toothache and they end up fashioning him a cap out of a bullet casing and they make a cap for his broken tooth and they put it in one night during the time, the off time when they're not racing. And that's where they get the, you know, get the title oh, of the movie from cool. as well but there's a really nice, it's a really nice sequence where it's like candace bergen and james coburn helping this guy out and it's 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 a really really cool scene cool but uh yeah i mean this guy is uh did some really great work a lot of stuff to to dig into and a lot of a lot of uh, filmic history that he was a part of and he was uh he was one of those guys who wrote all his movies all the movies that he directed he wrote them all yep. oh, wow. so he did all the adaptations himself and you know he was this is he's from the, from the old the Golden age of, of Hollywood, where the guys, these you know, writer directors, you know, these guys would have an idea and they'd go in and, they'd have a deal with a studio or, or whatever, and they'd be like, "I did an adaptation of this. Let's do it." Okay, good, you're done. Here's however Here's much money. money. Here's yeah. the money. Go make your movie." It would have been really interesting to see film production back in those days as compared to what it's like what it's become now.
4: Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: You know, and then what those, what, what that kind of, you know, you know, the, you know, the guy to talk about that would be to get in there. You know, I, you know, who I need to work on getting on the show is Clint Eastwood. He's the guy I need to get on the show. I bet he has a story or two. <laughs> Very doable. Very doable. Funny,
4: Just wait till he's completely in cognitive decline and then give him his agent. Yeah. Call. We'll I think. could hear that conversation.
3: Like, Clint, I would like you to come on my uh, podcast to talk about various movies. What the hell
4: are you talking about?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's a
4: podcast? <laughs> that sounds like a liberal thing. What's a, what's a How podcast did you get and why do I need number? to be involved?
0: <laughs> I'm going to have you arrested. Excuse uh, me, I'm
3: talking to a what, chair. I
0: need to uh, change? I need to change agents again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he, he does. He does effectively uh, put the
3: kibosh on that Tarantino, that, that unfortunate Tarantino statement that he made a couple of years ago, that directing is a young man's game. You know, it's like mm, I think Clint Eastwood begs to differ right there. Yeah. Right. The yeah, still um,
0: incredibly capable. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't think that that guy's ever going to be in cognitive decline. There's just, just some Believe one, one, you one. You think so? Oh yeah.
4: Oh yeah. yeah. you got to watch recent things with him. He's not all there. You didn't like the mule. I didn't see the mule. I liked uh, Grand Torino That was the last movie of his I liked. Okay, but he's. You, know, you can still make a movie <laughs> he, with he everyone was. around you supporting you and still be in cognitive decline. You could be the president of the United States being cognitive decline. So, you know. Well, that's
0: painfully true. So there's hope true. for me still. It's painful. <laughs> <laughs> You're the opposite ba- of cognitive ba- Painfully true. Uh, Walter, thanks, buddy. Yeah, awesome. Guys, thanks for having me. Thanks
4: for watching
2: both movies. Oh no, man. I, <laughs> I listen.
4: Never would have otherwise.
1: But thank you very much, gentlemen. Had a great time. Oh, you're Thanks, You're, you're, always, you're welcome, always,
0: always welcome, Walter.
1: All right. All right. Take care. Yeah. Over and out. All right. See you all have have down. There's, there's my leave button. Watch this. <laughs> Let's see if I and if I vanish, I'll just consider myself canceled by all <laughs> three of Right. That's right. We've no, we now. We now canceled Bye-bye. the Walter
2: Simonson show. <laughs>
1: Leaving, meeting, but not really, apparently. (laughs) Uh, You still have (laughs) not down (laughs)
2: there. And then he's gone. (laughs) All
0: right, let me do do the outro. All right, thanks to Purple Planet Music. It's your own awesome music at purple-planet.com. Please check out our website at com for all the poster images we discuss on our Down the Tube segments tonight. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can always listen to new episodes at com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at pod, all one word. Not all one word, just pod. For Hassan Godwin, Latham Conker III, and myself, we say once again, thank you so much for listening. And as for Walter Simonson as well, because he has just signed off. And as always, in the words of our, our faithful friend and guide through space and time and strange, surreal films,
2: Truman Burbank.
0: Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Boing.